Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 22. 1 Samuel chapter number 22. As you go through the Bible, we understand that the Bible is not just a book of heroes, but it is also a book that records villains. And throughout the Bible, there are certain names that transcend history. For example, nobody wants to name their daughter Jezebel. There's just something to it. Uh, we know that she's got such a connotation within her name that it is considered an evil name, a name that is just not acceptable. We know that most people do not consider naming their kid Judas Iscariot. It's just not a name that crosses off. And that we can know throughout the Bible, there are certain people that are great villains in the Word of God. Meaning that they're bad guys. We're not talking about a movie. These are people who actually lived. Sometimes it's almost unfathomable to realize the evil that some people can be. We know that there is a Haman who wanted to wipe out all of the Jewish population and actually passed a law to have official kill the Judae. That throughout the Bible, there are certain people that truly are villains. As we come to this story tonight and do a character study on a man that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we now find, in my personal opinion, someone who fits in the top five category of the worst Bible villains. And yet, his name often goes by unknown. He's not as famous as a Jezebel. He's not as famous as a Judas Iscariot. But yet, he is just as vile nonetheless. And so, if you don't mind, let's take a look at this little-known villain and see how awful and horrible he is and what he has done in the life of David. Notice with me as we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22, and notice with me in verse number 6. When Saul heard that David was discovered and that men were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having a spear, his spear in his hand, and all of his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you will conspire against me, and that there is none that showeth me my son hath made league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that are sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Himelech, the son of Etib. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Etub, and all of his father's house, and the priests that were in Nob, and they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thy son of Atib. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. 
And Saul said unto them, Why hast ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast not given him bread and a sword and inquired of the Lord for him, that he should rise up against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among thy servants as David, which is in the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house? Did I then begin to inquire the Lord for him? Be it far from me, and let the, not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of this, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priest of the Lord, because their hand is with David, and because they knew when he fled, and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priest of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, Turn and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priest, and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Atub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. And David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day when Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, and I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard." And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark the name of the villain that we find here in 1 Samuel chapter number 22? 1 Samuel chapter 22, and notice with me in verse number 9, Doag the Idiomite. Doag the Idiomite. And with the Lord's help, we want to do a quick character study on this villain of the Bible, Doag the Idiomite. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would just give us wisdom and discernment as we study this, this historical figure of the Bible and what he did and, and what you said concerning about him during this time. I'm asking that you would help us to stay close to you because we know that there's a spiritual war going on with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're asking that we would beware of our own flesh and that you would just keep us close to you so we could see ourselves as we truly are. Lord, be with us. Fill us, me with your Holy Spirit. And that you would just open up this passage in a special way. That we could learn more from your Bible and history and as characters. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the effective ways of studying the Bible is by studying the Bible by its characters. Remember, every life preaches a message. Your life preaches a message. My life preaches a message. That every life preaches a message. That if you took any life and you look at the whole of their life, what is the message that their life says? You may take uh, David, 
who was someone who trusted the Lord. And he, you could say that he had for his whole life that he was known as the man of God's own heart. What a great phrase to be said. That if you were going to do a study on, on his life, that would be the banner that you would put over them. As Joshua, what could you say about Joshua? You could see, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You can almost see that. That's the story of his life. You have Esther, and you could see her. And it says, for such a time as this, every life preaches a message, including your life. And that's why it's effective to do character studies because when you study someone's life, you can see their message and it reminds us that each of us have a message. If we were to look at your life now, what would your message be of your life? If somebody was to look through and to look from beginning and end to kind of see where you're at, what would be the message your life preaches? Remember, even the worst people can serve as bad examples. Your life teaches a message, whether it's good or bad. Doeg, as we study him and do a character study, we can see that his life preaches a message, and it is a message that we do not want to follow. If you don't mind, let's examine the life of Doeg, and let's see some things from his life that we could learn for ourselves. Notice, if you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to refer to is Doeg, the false worshiper. Doeg, the false worshiper. We see him first appear in the chapter before in 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 7. 1 Samuel 21 in verse 7. Remember that David has gone to the city of Nob, to the ta tabernacle where the high priest were. Notice with me in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 7. Now certain of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. So here we can see some things about Doeg. That first of all he is an Edomite. An Edomite is someone that comes from the country of Edom. Which is on the other side of the Jordan River and the Red Sea. It was first uh, settled by Esau. And <laughs> these people became the thorn in the sides of the children of Israel throughout history. They were always provoking. They were always uh, giving the Israelites a hard time. They were continually their enemies. And so Saul, who is the king of Israel, has hired an enemy from another country to be his chiefest herdsman. Now remember back in those days, how someone measured wealth was how, by how many animals you had. Not how big your bank account was, but how many animals you had. And so because Saul was king and he needed that status, he would have tons of animals, tons of sheep, tons of goats, tons of these other things going on. <laughs> and Doeg was placed, he had worked his way to be the chiefest of the herdsmen. He was someone who was very valuable. He wasn't like a little no-name shepherd. He was someone who was very much in charge of things. He was placed in a position of trust by Saul. So he was an Edomite who had betrayed his country per se, working with the enemy, and now he's worked his way to be the chiefest of the herdsmen. However, he is not an Israelite. And now, he, notice what happens. He's in the this, in this city with the temple in it. And it says in verse 7, now certain of the, of the, ah, 
Certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. Notice this phrase, detained before the Lord. Detained before the Lord. That phrase is a good expression because I think sometimes people who come to church are detained before the Lord. What does that mean? They're there because they have to, not because they want to. Some people are here detained by the Lord. Kind of like we make a joke about kids being, they're raised on drugs. They're drugged Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. They're drugged to church. They're there not because they want to, but because they have to. And there are some people who show up to church, not because they want to, but because they feel like they have to. Either because of tradition, because of image, because of this, because of that. And here it has the phrase, they're detained before the Lord. They're there. He's there at the holy temple doing the certain things that he's required to do in order to kind of fit in with all these Israelite people. And he doesn't want to be. His heart's not in it. It's a false worship. He's doing things because of appearance, not out of true worship to God. This is already the character that he has, is that he's somewhere, he's in church. We know it's not church, it's a tabernacle back there. He's doing the certain things that he's allowed to do as an Edomite, not as a na native Israelite, but there were certain things he could do in the court of the Gentiles. But he is not doing it. He's doing it out of appearance. I have a position, so in order to hold my position, I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to do this ritual. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so we could start off by saying this is not a person who is close to God. He's an enemy of God, enemy of God's people, but he's going through the rituals nonetheless. So we see him as he starts off as that special phrase. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Detained before the Lord. We see Doag, the first worshiper, or the false worshiper. As we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, we now see something else about him. Doag, the vile informer. Doag, the vile informer. Now, the chapter starts off with David as he's hiding in the caves of Adullam. And everyone begins to join them. People begin to leave the army of Saul and the government of Saul to follow David. And so how does Saul, in all of his righteousness, accept it? He throws a little hissy fit. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 6. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abide in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having a spear in his hand. He's always got a spear in his hand. And a servant standing about him. So here's the scene. He's having a pity party day. He's outside, leaning by a tree, twirling his spear, crying, nobody likes me, why? Oh, it's so horrible. Notice as he begins to complain in verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds that all of you conspire against me? He says, oh, poor me. Is David making you promises? Are you guys going to leave me too? Are you conspiring against me? Nobody likes me. I know you're standing there, but nobody likes me. It's so horrible. You could just almost have that tear in your eye just thinking about poor Saul there, just brokenhearted and nobody likes him. Notice in verse 8, that all of you conspired against me, and there was none that showed you me that my son hath made league with the son of Jesse. 
says, nobody even told me that my son, he joined David. My own son, why? Nobody told me. I meant you just the tears are just getting ready to flow. Don't you feel sorry for him? He says, there was none of you that is sorry for me. Isn't that pretty pathetic that he's even saying, none of you are sorry for me? I meant nobody's crying for Saul. They're standing there, okay, well, another hissy fit. Let him cry. None of you scared. Nobody knows the pain that I'm in. And there is none of you that are sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son had stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is that day. Did you catch that? He's blaming Jonathan for David turning. It's Jonathan's fault that David doesn't like me anymore. It's Jonathan's fault that David wants to take the throne. You know, it could be that you try to kill David a couple times. Maybe that could have been the problem. You know, if you didn't hit the javelin that one last time, if you didn't send people to spy on his house and try to kill him, maybe, you know, could you think maybe that would have been it? No, it's Jonathan. Jonathan stirred him up and nobody told me that Jonathan was joining with David and he stirred David up, my lovely servant. He loved me so much and now he's run away. Why? Man, he's, he, he's throwing in the tears. He's crying. Oh, it's... Wouldn't you like to see that recording just to listen, listen to him? Like, why? What? Aren't you a grown man, six foot six tall and crying like a big baby and everyone's around you with tissues trying to, it's all right. Well, when people are in power, they always have the guy that carries the tissues. Always the guy who wants to make the big boss feel better. So here he is, Doeg, verse number nine. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Himelech, the son of Atub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath of the Philistine. So as Saul's going through this pity party and he needs someone to give him a tissue so he can blow his nose, Doeg says, here you go, boss. Here's a big tissue for you. There you go. Oh, you're looking big and buff today. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, I saw, I saw David. You could almost see the tears. You saw him? Oh, yeah. He went over to the tabernacle. And he went and he talked to the high priest. And the high priest asked God some things for David. And then the high priest, he gave him bread. I saw it. And then I saw him give the sword of Goliath. The only reason why David has that sword of Goliath, he's going to kill you. He's got a plan. And I saw him. The high priest, he's in it. He's conspiring against him. You know, Saul's already saying, why didn't someone tell me that all my servants are betraying me? So Doeg's pretty eager to say, hey, I'll tell you someone else who's conspired against you. It's the high priest. It's the preacher. And so he throws him under the bus. Doeg has no problems ratting on him, telling on him, tattling on him, being the rat, being the informer. He tells Saul, and now Saul has someone to blame. All this passion, he wants to th throw someone, uh, he wants to blame someone. Now he's got someone to blame. So we could see Doeg, the false worshiper, he didn't like this stuff, anything. He didn't like serving Jehovah. He didn't like doing the rituals. He happened to be there when David showed up and David knew that was bad news. He'd already run into Doag and knew his character and knew as soon as Doag saw him, he knew that bad things were going to happen. So sure enough, Doag informs on him, which now brings us to something else. Doag, the heartless murderer. Doag, the heartless murderer. 
So what happens in verse 11? Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Atuam, and his father's house, and the priests that were at Nob. And they all came, <laughs> uh, came all of them to the king. So what happens is that Saul doesn't just call all, one. He says, hey, all those priests that were in Nob, come here. And so it, uh, Ahimelech comes. Along with him comes 84 priests. And they're standing before Saul. They haven't done anything wrong. But the king asked for them to come, so they show up. And now Saul begins to yell at him. Notice with me in verse 12. And Saul said, Hear now, you the son, thou son of Atub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said, Why have you conspired against me? Notice, he didn't ask. He automatically accuses. You, it's your fault. You conspired against me. You're against me. Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, and that thou hast given us bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise up for me to lie in wait this day? Now, Doag had added to the story, and now Saul has added even more to the story. He's blaming, Doag had added the story that he, uh, Ahimelech had inquired of the Lord, meaning that he went and he talked to God on David's behalf on what to do. David did not do that. In addition, uh, Saul now says, you purposely planned to overthrow me. You worked with David to try to get rid of my throne. Now he's added to the charge. And of course that never happened. Verse number 14. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said. Who is so faithful among all thy servants than David. Which is the king's son-in-law. That goeth at thy bidding and honorable in thy house. Now here is the first mistake of Ahimelech. Though he didn't do anything wrong. It's a mistake in Saul's eyes. He's sitting there. Why would I have any reason to doubt David. He behaved himself wisely. He's always doing what the king asked him to do. And he's the king's son-in-law. Why would I think that there was something wrong with David? It didn't cross my mind. He's a faithful servant. Verse number 15. And then I began to inquire of the Lord for him. Be it far from me. And let not the king impute anything unto his servant. Nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all of this. Less or more. He says I have no clue. And please don't blame me for something I didn't do. So you think Saul's going to. Logic's going to work on Saul? Probably not. And so Saul. Here's Ahimelech. And his sentence after hearing Ahimelech said. It wasn't me. I'd, I would never do that. Verse 16, and the king says, thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, and all thy father's house. So because Ahimelech says, hey, it wasn't me, I didn't do it, Saul says, kill him. You're going to die. So he sets the order, verse 17, and the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David, and because they knew that when he fled and did not show it to me. So Saul looks at his soldiers standing next to him and says, all right, boys, kill him. Because he worked with David. And he didn't tell me about David. I had to hear it from someone else. You slay them because they're my enemies. They're against me. 
Now the problem is, is that these are the servants of God. These are the people that work in the tabernacle. These are the preachers. These are the people that oversee the function of the tabernacle, that take care of the tabernacle, that prepare the showbread, that do all of the maintenance at the tabernacle, that these are the ones that do the sacrifices. These are the ones that run everything. And yet, Saul doesn't care about that. Kill them all. Now, imagine if you're a soldier working for Saul. I mean, he's the boss. He's your employer. You're, he's, he's the king. And he says, go kill the preachers. Kill them all. And you know, the preachers didn't do anything wrong. You heard the conversation. What would you do? Wouldn't that be a hard decision? Well, I'm not going to kill the, God's anointed. I'm not going to touch God's man. But notice what happens, verse 17 at the end. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to follow upon the priest of the Lord. I mean, they had enough sense to said, we're going to draw the line here. We can't do that. This is the preacher. They didn't do anything wrong. Thank the Lord that they had some sense. But there's the guy. Oh, King Saul, you're looking buff today. You're looking nice. Here's another tissue. You need someone to help you out there, boss? I'll be glad to help you. And so he volunteers. So notice in verse number 18. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and fell upon the priest and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. Four score, remember a score is 20, so four times 20 plus five is 85 people. 85 priests, 85 people whose only job was to work in God's house and do the sacrifices and obey the Bible. Doag had no problems. Pick me, boss. And he killed in that day 85 preachers. When nobody else said, no, I won't, I'm not going to touch that. Doag volunteered. Here, boss, I'll do it. Can I do it? Yes, yes, pick me. And he gladly killed 85 of them. Now, he probably wouldn't make my top five if that was it. But Doag took permission and went even further. Notice with me in verse number 19. And Nob, the city of the priest, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and sucklings and oxen and ashes and sheep with the edge of the sword. So Doag says, oh man, I get my chance. Not only did he kill 85 preachers, but he went into the city where the tabernacle was and he killed everybody. Hey, old man, come here, kill. Hey, you lady, kill. Hey, little child, kill. Hey, little baby, kill. He went and a murder spree all by himself. None of the other soldiers would touch it. All Saul said was to kill the priest. But Doeg hated the things of God so much, he took it upon himself to go kill everyone in the city. And what did Saul do? Did Saul even slap him on the wrist? Nothing. Gave him a medal. Here, man, this is a guy. This is someone who's with me. This is an example for all of you. You're not with me. He's with me. Thanks, boss. You got big arms today. You're looking good. You need to touch you. He's there. He's, he's available. Hates the things of God and is using this as permission. I mean, it's bad enough to kill 85 preachers. 
But to go into the town off your own initiative and kill everyone? What a horrible guy. Now, of course, David hears this. And he's brokenhearted. If you don't mind, one last thing as we see about Doeg. Doeg, guilty before God. Doeg, guilty before God. So Doeg does all of this murdering. And yet, one of the people escaped by the name of Abathar. Now, Abathar is the son of the high priest. So that makes him, by lineage, the new high priest. Could you imagine what it would be like to, he- to see the guy kill your dad? And to kill everyone in the town? He escaped. He, he left the tabernacle. And, of course, he ran to David. David... Let me tell you what happened. And David brokenheartedly says, man, I knew this was going to... As soon as I saw Doeg, I knew that something bad was going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. David feels bad and he tells tells, um, Abathar here, why don't you just stay with me? Because Saul wants to kill you. If Saul sees you, he's going to kill you. You might as well hang out with me and and, uh, we'll just serve God together and figure out what we're going to do. What a horrible time. Do you know that Doeg has reached God's attention so much that Doeg even has a psalm written about him. Notice, if you don't mind, Doeg's psalm in Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Now, most of the psalms are talking about David or someone as they're looking up to God and lifting it up. How bad and evil do you have to be for a psalm to be written about you, about how evil you are and how God's going to destroy you? Notice with me in Psalm 52, and notice the titles. Uh, the titles in the, for the Hebrew people are considered inspired. You can learn a lot of information from it. Notice with me Psalm 52, and notice the title. To the chief musician, Mishael, a psalm of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. Notice with me in verse number 1. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Notice this. Why boasteth thyself to mischief? You know what happened to Doeg? Not only did he kill 85 preachers, not only did he wipe out the entire town of Nob, killing men, women, children, babies, not only did he tattle on David, he brags about it. He brags about it. You know how Saul knows he could trust me? I kill preachers. You know how Saul could trust me? Let me tell you, I went to a town and I wiped him out for Saul. (laughs) By the way, how tough are you to go kill 85 unarmed men? But he's bragging on it. Notice again verse 1. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief? Oh, mighty man. That mighty man is kind of sarcastic. (laughs) You think you're all big and tough, mighty man. You killed 85 defenseless, unarmed men who were servants of the God. You think you're all tough and big because you killed all of them? The goodness of God endureth continually. Now, it's doing a comparison. Hey, you think you're all good? Let me tell you something. Goodness of God endures continually. You cannot kill enough preachers to stop the goodness of God. You can't stop it. Doeg had it in his mind. He could stop the religion of the Israelites if he killed all the preachers who were supposed to be working with the tabernacle. 
But God's goodness goes on way past that. Verse number two, thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Notice this as uh, God points it out, his deceits. Verse two, thy tongue deviseth mischief like a strong razor working deceitfully. Here, he couldn't wait to tell Saul about David and, the, and he saw David where he was at. Hey, boss, you need a tissue? Oh, your arms are looking big and buff today. Look at this. Let me tell you about David. His, his tongue was ready to go ahead and tell mischiefs. Notice with me in verse 3. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. How awful do you have to be to have a psalm written down for God to say, you love evil more than good. That's pretty bad. That God points it out. Now this is God writing, or <laughs> the inspiration of God. David's writing it, but it is God's behind it. God's pointing out, this guy's evil. This guy's horrible. This guy's bad. Verse 4, thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. Again, God's just pointing out how evil and awful this guy is. Verse 5, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place. Root thee out of thy, the land of the living. So God says, I'll take care of him. We're going to root him out of the land of the living. Verse 6, the righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. You know there's going to be a time at the judgment of God that Doeg is going to stand before God and everyone's going to laugh and say, see, where'd that get you? You're not as big as you thought you were. You're not as powerful as you thought you were. You're not as big and brave as you thought you were. Verse 7, lo, this man that hath made not God his strength, but trusteth in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in wickedness. But I am like an olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. And verse 7, notice this. This is the man that, uh, this, they're laughing at him. Lo, is this the man that made not God his strength, but trusted the abundance of riches and strengthened himself in wickedness? In the end of the world, what we'll do is we'll see a man who trusted in himself and what got him in the end. For someone who likes to brag on themselves. There's probably no other worse punishment. Than for them to see a mirror. Reflecting exactly who they are. Someone who likes to brag. Likes to promote how great they are. But God takes a mirror. And shows us exactly who we are. With all the blemishes. All the mistakes. Everything. And for someone who has an egomaniac like that. Who wants everyone to see how great he is. At the end of the world everyone's going to say he's not great. He's so small. He's so weak. He's so pathetic. He didn't trust in God. He trusted in himself. He trusted in his own words. He trusted in his deceit. And he's not as big as he thought he was. For someone with a big ego and big bragging. That's probably the worst thing that could happen. Is for everyone to see him at the judgment. As he truly is. But on David's side. David sees everything that Doeg does, but notice as he runs to God. You know, the thing is, is that you could look at a Doeg in your life. You could look at a Doeg who hates everything, and you could look at him and say, oh, everything's horrible. 
But you always have to look past the circumstances and look beyond the circumstances and see that there's a God that's still in control. Notice verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. You understand that when Doag killed all those people, God is still good. Doag is not good, but God is still good. You understand that God is still good no matter what men does. God is still good no matter what evil men try to do. Evil men do awful things and there's consequences for their actions. But that doesn't erase that God is still good. And he's still wonderful. And you could still trust in him. You could still cling to him. You could still be obedient to him. You could still wait on him. Remember the idea of waiting in the Bible. is not to tap your feet and to twiddle your thumbs. But the idea of waiting in the Bible is the ultimate form of worship. It carries the idea that because you trust God so much. You're willing to obey him. Do you trust God? Even in the midst of the country falling apart? Do you trust God when evil men take power? Do you trust God even when evil people do things around us? Then if you do, then you'll still be willing to obey God. David said, I'm not going to allow this to demoral me. I'm sorry that this happened. But it's not going to make me waver in my devotion to God. I've already made a mistake before. I'm not going to make a mistake before again. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to depend upon Him. No matter what evil men do, it's not going to stop me from serving God. No matter what evil people do, it's not going to make me to stop obeying God and waiting on Him for His promises. Aren't you glad, no matter how evil the person is, God is bigger than evil, any evil man. God is bigger. Remember in the fight with David and Goliath? Goliath was not the giant. God was the giant. Because he's bigger than anyone can face. That is why we could go cling to God no matter what the circumstances. Because God is bigger. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.